Well, what a season we are in. We are continuing, of course, to be praying for Atlantic Canada and all that they experience through real storms. Uh, we are also this week as Canadians, we're reflecting on truth and reconciliation and what is required of us to continue to walk in that way. But also it really does seem as though that there are not, there is almost not a continent or a country that is not experiencing some form of turmoil in our world. And so we could go, of course, to Ukraine and continue to pray for the ongoing aggression and conflict. We could go to Nigeria, we could go to Afghanistan, or we could go anywhere which way, and all of it requires um, prayer. How many of you know that it's seemingly every industry and everywhere you look, there are problems? And wherever there are problems, we need to have the conversation around purpose. And last Sunday, Pastor Rhonda spoke deeply about how resilient disciples, they learn how to, not perfectly, but they learn how to, over time, trust Scripture. Now, some Sundays, I, whether you're here or whether you're at home, some, some, some Sundays, I want to talk to us as a collective. I want to speak to us as though we are one body, unified, and we want to engage what God has for us. Today, not one of those Sundays. So you, we can all go home. We're done. Some of you are like, praise God, he finally answered prayer. Um, no, not quite. But it's, uh, it's not one of those Sundays. I don't want to talk to us to, in a collective, and here, here's what I would say. Uh, I don't want to talk to the person beside you. I just want to talk to you. Just you. Now, if we were having this conversation at a coffee shop, admittedly, it's weird because I'm the only one doing the talking, which is not really a good conversation. I get it. That being kind of pushed aside, again, whether you're here at your home, I'm not talking to the person beside you. I'm specifically... I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you from God's Word about purpose, because here's, here's why I want to change that narrative today. We need you. That's not hyperbolic, by the way. That's not um, a nice thing to say. We need you. We need the imperfect you to engage the purpose that God has for you. In fact, the church in the city will not be the same if you say no. We need you. You're disciplined, yes. The moment you say yes to Jesus, that your disciplined yes is designed by God to influence others, influence the destiny of others. You cannot control what happens, but you can influence and you can pray and you can be postured to serve. And so your discipled yes is really significant. And someone who has helped me understand purpose in this last season is Terry Walling. And so he has books called Awakening, Deciding, and Finishing, which are helpful. And I'm going to draw on some of those elements today. And so I'm going to give credit to whom credit is due. But regarding purpose, here are two opening thoughts that I want you to embrace. Everybody say embrace. Like not a physical hug, because that's not nice, just metaphorically speaking. We're going to give these things a hug. To understand your purpose, God takes each of us through the same process on purpose. Now, I am not saying that your life situation or circumstances, your life challenges, the things that you have faced are the same as the person beside you. They're not. It would be erroneous of me to say so. Yet no matter what people, events, and circumstances we experience in our lives, 
It is contested space, so God is working. The enemy is equally working. And in the midst of there, there are imperfect people who do good things and bad things. So in the midst of this space that is quite noisy, I know that I know that I know that there is a purpose in this purpose that God is leading you through. And you can also expect purpose to be refined a few different times over the course of your life. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, then your purpose may be defined differently. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a duality of purpose. On one hand, it could be looking at the earthly things that you do, like your family and your friends and your job and your calling and your career, or it, it can be in that space. And there's definite things of purpose that we could speak about in those areas. But if you are in Christ as a disciple of Jesus, then, then your purpose is twofold. It is becoming a disciple in turn who then makes other disciples of Christ. So your purpose is discipleship, both for your own heart and life, and then to help lead other people to see, experience, and then follow Jesus with where they're at, not cloning your life, but learning from it. The only thing you need to discover is how. God, how are you at work in my life? What are you doing? I believe with everything in me that God is at work in every one of our stories. We just need oftentimes discernment to figure out how. What are you doing? How are you at work? And how do you want to use my life? And how, how can be a question that we ask differently as we work through and live through different seasons of life. In our teens to our 30s, we may be asking direction questions like, where is my life headed? Or whom, you know, what kind of job? Or where should I study? And what should I go to school? And is it my family expectations or my expectations? In your teens and thir- up to your 30s, you can be working through, is, is faith what my, what my family, what the house of origin I grew in? Or what's my faith? In other words, what's the direction of my life heading? It's calling, it's, it's where am I going? In our 40s to 60s, we begin to say, man, with everything that God's given me, how do I make a Jesus-sized difference? And in some cases, it's like, wow, my life has gone better than I can ever dream. And in other circumstances, it's like, I cannot imagine that my life is what it is. And in all of that, God, how do I use all of what is my life now to make a Jesus-sized difference with everything that's in my life? And then our 60s unto our hundreds, it's how do I then continue to serve God in my generation for the next generation, but how do I give others all that God has entrusted to me? And so in our lives, purpose sounds different But it moves us through these different stages, and to best answer these questions, God is going to take all of us through a similar process where it's hardest to clarify both how and where He is at work. And so today I want to take a few moments to talk to you, not the person beside you. You at home, not the person on your couch with you. If you're alone, prayerfully in your house, and you're single, then there shouldn't be anybody else on the couch, because if they are, that's odd. So let's talk about direction and decisions and then ultimately defining moments. Direction involves gaining clarity regarding the stage of life that we're in, but also the stewardship of our spiritual gifts, of our entrustments, the deposit, the the burdens. When you look at all the problems in the world, not every one of them is a burden on your heart. For some of you, it is addictions. When you get up and you see people in the throes of addictions, this is your burden. For others of you, it may be racial inequality. For others, it can be something other. The reality and the honesty is that when you look at the problems of the world, 
There is an opportunity for every Christ follower to have an assignment in purpose because there are no short of problems. But it doesn't mean that everyone will share it. It's all got to get done and not one person can get it all done. We're a body. We need one another. And so direction involves gaining clarity regarding these things, these burdens and these lessons along the way. And the moment you begin to get clarity in your life, you know what happens is you set your feet on a direction. Now, we don't, ever, we don't get up in the morning and go, today is a direction day. But it's what we do. It's what happens. And in our lives, there are some directional things that we do or some paths that we take and some in God's providence and His grace He lets us go down dead ends so that we can discover for ourselves it was a dead end because if he would have told us at the beginning, we wouldn't have believed him. So sometimes our life is learning about, okay, it's not in this and it's not in this and and, and this is white knuckle for everyone who loves you, but, but God who sees all can see what is happening in people's hearts and lives. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we see this moment in the life of Jesus. We see that he now takes this opportunity, this moment of time, and he sets a very specific direction for his life. It's in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. I'm going to read it in three different translations, and I want you to see it, the full nuance of it. It's a clear example of direction in the life of Jesus when he makes his way to Jerusalem. Everyone say to Jerusalem. That's a direction. He's not going to Samaria. He had been there, but that's not where he's going. He's going to Jerusalem for a purpose, to complete the atoning work on the cross for all of humanity. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Do you see what Jesus does? He sets his face to go to Jerusalem. That's from the ESV. If I pulled another translation like the NIV, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely, everyone say resolutely, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So he is setting a direction for his life. And then the message says, when it came close to the time for his ascension, he gathered up his courage He gathered up his courage. Don't ever see that like Jesus floats to the cross. Fully God, fully man. He gathers up his courage and he steals himself for the journey to Jerusalem. Do you notice that once he sets a direction, he then begins to look at decisions and choices? Once you begin to set a direction for your life, here's what I promise you. When you set direction, I wish to become more like Christ. When you set this as a direction in your life, here is what I promise is going to happen. You is going to experience conflict. Here's the lie. When you discover purpose, everything in your life is going to be easier. Oh, when you discover, that is like saying, when you decide to get in shape, everything just is easy. Has anybody experienced when you decide to get in shape, 
everything just gets easy. No. You get on the treadmill and you're like, I I'm not in too bad shape. Three minutes in. Level one. Incline. Zero. You're like, time out, <laughs> time out, time out. Horse towel, you know, water break. When I find the person I want to spend the rest of my life with, then everything's going to be easy. <laughs> like, when Lori and I met, man, were we delusional. <laughs> More Lori, but let me just continue. Don't worry about it. She's in Canada preaching the same message using me as the example. Okay, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. She said the same thing, only reversed it. It's all good. But we remember dating, thinking we could not be more alike. Because in the beginning, she was like, my gosh, I have found a man, well, excuse me, I have found an infant <laughs> who likes coming to the mall. I've always not enjoyed going to the mall. I just happened to enjoy being in her presence, which made the mall tolerable. <laughs> then when we got married, it's like, eh, you can go yourself. <laughs> Some of you get married to have romance for the rest of your lives, I got married so you don't ever have to kiss again. It's gross. Some of you are like, oh, it's like Purell for the body. That's just a joke, by the way. That's just a joke. So when we discover purpose, it doesn't make everything in your life easy. What it makes it is clear. It makes it clear. It doesn't make it easy. In fact, how many of you know that whenever you talk about purpose, as I've already highlighted a few times, all we're really talking about are solving problems. Well, real problems are never easy fixes. They're not easy. Haven't you noticed that some people just don't do what you tell them to do? <laughs> Have you noticed that? If you would just listen to me, well, you didn't listen to them either. Because here's what's happening. You may be right over here in giving great advice. Life-changing advice you are giving. But between your advice and their ear is every expectation, every disappointment, every bad relationship, every time I trusted, every time I failed. Is it wonder why it's not the advice that needs to change, it's the noise between where God is working so that we can hear. Jesus sets his face and he gathers his courage and he steals himself. And these are all choices. These are choices that he makes in advance of walking in a particular direction. Everything in your life started with a choice. You and I are the sum total of the choices that we have made and have not made. And in some cases, others made that impacted and influenced our lives for sure. But decisions are about insights into these critical choices. Everyone say critical choices. Not all choices are equal. Like, for example, what you have 
for lunch today, which we look forward with eager anticipation to you showing us later. We cannot wait to see it on socials. What you had for lunch today. Honestly, I can't wait. I can't wait to see just what you ate. I can't wait. Did you go avocado toast or did you go salad? I can't wait to figure out that life-changing decision. Well, that isn't a life-changing decision. It's a hungry decision. It's a decision you can make whether you're going to grab pita bread or non-bread or no bread because I don't do gluten. Like, these are good decisions, but at the end of the day, not the same weight as who am I going to follow? Who am I going to allow to shape my life? Whose voice gets to determine my future? The God who knows me or the teacher who just knew of me? Whose voice is going to determine my life? The one who loved me when I was lost or found and found or the one who used me in a season of my life? Whose voice are we going to give us the greatest influence in our heart and life? These are questions in the area of purpose. Some decisions are not critical decisions, but every decision that becomes critical starts somewhere. Every discipline you start or that you do not engage begins somewhere, and the same is true for me. And so Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, and from that moment, he says yes or no with a different urgency than he did in the first 30 years of his life. And he teaches his disciples with greater intensity he prays with greater fervency and he models servant leadership with increased clarity and focus. All because he knows when I set my face towards Jerusalem and the decisions in there, the purpose of why I'm doing that is to redeem mankind, humankind. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. He sets his face, and as he does, everything becomes clear in focus. There are some of us, and we talk about purpose, you love it to stay blurry. God, how do you want to use my life to make a Jesus-sized difference in the world in which we live, 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 live? How do you want to use my life? And then the Lord says, this is your step of obedience. Lord, I want to change the world. Let's start with changing your bed. Only parents are clapping right now. That's it. <laughs> Only parents, man. That is not a word from the Lord. Don't use that in the car. Did you hear the pastor? Don't use my name in vain. I don't care whether you make your bed or not. Some of you, the parents are going, I do. I know. You can care. I care in my house. You care in your house. I've just felt it's a bit of a losing battle. So nevertheless, we can see in these moments there are decisions and there are choices that we make that start somewhere and then begin to build out. Oftentimes, here's what happens. God, you want to use my life to make a Jesus-sized difference? Yeah, I'm going to preach to millions. Exactly. No, I don't want you to preach to millions. I want you to be faithful at home. I want to be the world's greatest evangelist. Maybe start by sharing Jesus with a to a coworker at work. 
Oftentimes what Jesus does is he doesn't create the blurry. It's beautiful to have a dream. But you know what's more important when we're talking about purpose than the dream? The dream is important. I'm not diminishing it. But what I am saying is what is of great importance when talking about purpose and dreams is your next obedient step. This is the critical part. Like for for some of you in your marriage, you, you want it to be healed and better. And I get it. It's a beautiful dream. But maybe the first step is forgiveness. Maybe the first step is just letting go of some control. I'm not sure. We underestimate the step. And oftentimes we can overestimate the dream. It's not what we see. You see, because in purpose, here's what, G, here's what the scriptures teach, how God is working in your life. He is working to establish his steps, the steps of the Lord, and then the work of his hands. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9 says, the heart of a human plans their way, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord, everyone say the Lord. The Lord establishes his steps. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yeah, establish the work of our hands. So when direction becomes clear, we then begin to work through decisions of obedience. Let me see your hands today. Who here messed up at least one time this week? Can I see your hands, please? Online, please hand up in the chat. Okay. I think I heard Siri even come on over here. And I couldn't hear clearly. It sounded like tongues, but I'm going to interpret for you. Even Siri is coming along saying, I too have sinned and fallen short. Or Alexa, or whatever name the AI is. Well, when direction becomes clear, then we begin. Everyone say, then we begin. The more clear following Christ becomes, the more appealing the broader way looks. The more clear following Jesus becomes, the more appealing another way looks. Because when direction becomes clear, then we begin to work through decisions of obedience and surrender and trust, allowing the Holy Spirit to refine our disobedience, our stubbornness. Anybody here can be called stubborn? Anybody here stubborn? No, somebody, somebody you like. Okay, is anybody here in a relationship with someone that's stubborn and you want to volunteer that they're stubborn? (laughs) See the confidence change? Because some of you, here's what you were doing in your head. I don't like the word stubborn. I like the word, I'm resolute. I'm just resolute. That's who I am. Great. There's a beautiful stubbornness within resolution. But other people around you are like, yeah, there's some resolute there. But no, you're really just actually stubborn. You just think you're right all the time. Some of you are like, well, time out. I said stubborn, not right all the time. Now you made it worse. I know. In a garden overlooking Jerusalem, we see a defining moment in the life of Jesus. In defining moments, here's the amazing thing about them. They're never circled on your calendar. I mean, there are some defining moments that we have on our calendars, for sure. But what I have found is that most are not until you're in one. It says, he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed, saying, 
Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Don't you love the humanity of Jesus? If you're willing, remove this cup. Nevertheless, what does he say? Not my will, it's yours. Not my will, but yours be done. Let me lovingly lean in here for like two seconds, and then we're going to finish. During worship today, we sang that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And some of you couldn't sing it because it's not well with your soul. And I love the power of authenticity, of being honest. Faith is not being delusional or living denial that things aren't good right now. And for some of you right now, it's not good right now. And I'm not diminishing it, nor am I going to dance and be lacking tenderness in it. It's not good right now. I get it. I may not get all the specifics of it like you do, but I understand. I can appreciate it's not well. So even as we began to sing it, and you heard others around you singing it as well with their soul. Here's the lie of the enemy that you begin to look around and everybody who sang it is well with their soul, it is well with their soul. Here's the truth though. And here's what you see in the garden as Jesus sets his direction towards Jerusalem and then he refines his decisions to obedience to do the will of the Father. You see the beautiful authenticity in Jesus that we believe in authenticity, we value authenticity, but living exclusively in authenticity can deform you out of faith. So Jesus in this moment, it's not well with his soul in a sense, like what he's going to experience. He's feeling the crushing weight of it. He knows what is about to come. But in this moment, he's genuinely authentic. But he can say, it is well with my soul because what I'm going to go through is not going to define the totality of who I am. My identity, my calling, my purpose, my everything is not just in what I'm going to go through. It is what God is going to work in me and through me in this moment. So for some of you, you sing in a moment when a song comes on like, it is well with my soul and you are living through hell in a season. You can, it's going to rhyme actually. You can actually say it is well while living through hell. Why? Not because you deny what is, but because your faith is rooted in the one who is greater. And that's not hyperbolic at all. It's not delusion, it's not denial. It is this is what is, but what is is not greater than I am. And I root in here, and this is what we see in the life of Jesus. Your will be done. Father, my hand, my obedience, my purpose, my destiny, it is in your hands, and you are a good, good Father, even in this moment, atoning for our bad, bad brokenness. Jesus knows who his father is, and so he knows who he is. Jesus knows what he has come to do, and he's on us with the weight of it. And Jesus surrenders to the will of the father to live out his purpose on earth. And he does it perfectly, the rest of us imperfectly. Imperfectly, another word for that is failure. Falling short, not measuring up. And that is our story, loved ones. No matter who you are, every one of us story has good and bad, healthy and unhealthy, healed and broken. 
obedience and disobedience. Temptations resisted and temptations yielded to. Christ, no. Us, yes. So a word, just a word on failure. Failure can give you the deepest understanding of God's faithfulness. Or it can define the rest of your story. And here's what is wild. You get to choose. It's why the scriptures, whether we're talking about failure and loss and grieving, like we're going to do with our remembrance garden today, failure, loss, and grieving have a specific prayer language in the scriptures called lament. I pray you hear this with both ears in your whole heart. God is always good. The enemy never is. And the works of darkness on the lips of broken humanity are always an accusation of God's character rather than the enemy's activity. And because this is true, the goodness of God is demonstrated not always in the prevention of pain, but in the redemption of pain. The goodness of God is not always in the prevention of pain. It is seen in the redemption of it. And oftentimes in our woundedness, in our failure, in the failure of another that impacts us and influences us and rends our heart and breaks our heart, who we trust God is in this space gets deeply, deeply affected. Let me give you some metaphors. In these times, when we have experienced pain in this world and not yet seen the redemption of God, let me give you some metaphors for when you may need the language of lament in prayer. When life feels like unrelenting rain, when life feels like an endless night, when you look at the story of your life and it looks like shattered glass, oh, you can see pieces of what was, but the picture of what it should have been just seems shattered. It is shattered. Empty rooms. Crashing waves. One thing is true if you stand at the edge of the sea. Under normal circumstances, not surge ones, those waves just keep coming. And this is what life can feel like at times and in seasons. And in these places, there are two directional doors open to you, and you choose which one you open and go through. One door is deeper trust in God, and the other door is to something, someone, or somewhere different. 
deeper is all about gaining situational clarity. What in the world is going on? And God, how can you be at work in the mess of this? Deeper is that question. Lord, how are you using this season to deepen my trust in you? Or how do you wish to bring healing and freedom to my thinking, my emotions, my motivations? Where do I need to develop spiritual disciplines to help me remain anchored in this season of lament? But different, different loved ones is abiding in unhealed wounds. It is abiding in arrested development. Do you know one of the things that the Lord has put his finger on in the West in the last few years? Here's one of the most dangerous, dangerous things facing the church in 2022. I almost said 23, 22. We can grow in knowledge of the Scriptures, but not necessarily grow in, in Christ-like character. And if we grow in knowledge in what the Word says, but not how Jesus lived, this can become a tremendous problem. So the solution isn't like, you know, hey, no less of the word. The solution isn't dumb down the word. The solution is, Lord, apply the word to my heart so that I grow up to look more like you. And I stop telling everybody around them how they can look more like you. And I zip my mouth for a season and grow up to look more like Christ. Lord, that the character of my life rise in consistency to the authority of your word so that maybe you can give me an opportunity to say this is actually that. Arrested development, strongholds, limited beliefs, misidentified purpose. So if we were to spend time together talking about your purpose, I would want to ask you some direction questions. Why are you going this way? And not like, not, not a judgmental, just why this road? What you doing? Why are you going this way? Some decision questions. But I'd love to be able to hear what happened and be able to say, are we going to trust deeper or are we going to choose different? Ten-second side note. Think of the life of Peter after he betrays Jesus and he weeps bitterly. He laments. He pours out. He failed. Where do you next see him? He goes back. What? He goes back to fishing for fish. He chooses different. But guess what, loved ones? You have a heavenly father that even if you are here today and you choose different, you are only one obedient step from getting back into the purpose that God has for you because our God can redeem any and everything that the enemy tries to steal. My father said something last week that I thought was profound and I want you to locate your communion element as I say it. We're Canadians and we can do two things at one time. We can locate our communion elements and the next thing I want you to do is I want you to look at your physical body. Go for it. Turn the person beside you, look them right in the eyes and say, do you see this specimen of awesomeness that you're sitting beside? No, look again. Look again at awesome. After the service, you can follow up with them and you can say, you know what, you're welcome. You have to spend two hours sitting beside awesome. You didn't even know, and I want you to know the Lord has blessed you by being in my proximity today. No, don't do any of that. But here's what I do wish to say. Look at your body. It has physical definition. Like you start and you end somewhere. 
Some of us want to end a little sooner than, but, but we all have, we all start. We all have a start and a stop, and that's good. Remind yourself when you walk into a room, I have a start and an end. Some of you need to hear that because when you walk into a room, you just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger like a balloon getting inflated and inflated and we're all stuck on the side of the wall and you're thinking, man, this was a good time. It was a good time for you. I digress. But here's what I do want to say. Your physical body has limitations. Yes? What does the word say? When it comes to purpose, greater is he that is in you than just what you see in the world, than he that is in the world. Some of you, the last thing I want to say around purpose is this. You keep looking at your physical limitations and disqualifying yourself from stepping into what God has for you. You're looking to the wrong source. Don't look just at what you are. See who God is in you because it is greater and it is bigger. Some of you are facing circumstances and situations and you are saying it is too big and that is honest. The next part is, but not big enough for you, God. So Lord, you need to do a bigger, an expansive, a deeper, a grounding work. You need to work in me so that I can stand in this situation. Come on. The problems in this world are too big. But they are not too big for God to do in us and through us. We're not the saviors. He is. But we're the ones he sends. So let's get at it.